Welcome back to Hoops with Book and Sheed. We have another action-packed pod talking about playoff basketball. We start off with a recap of Tuesday night's games. So we've got, you know, talking about the scintillating game seven between the Nuggets and Jazz, where the Nuggets pulled it out to advance to play the Clippers. Then we talk about the Celtics' tight win over the Raptors. After that, we talk a little bit about uh, Monday night's action. So the Heat's big win over the Bucks in game one. Uh, talk a little bit about Giannis's struggles. And then we move to a recap of the Thunder's close win in game six over the Rockets. Finally, we finish up with some quick hitters, which includes a discussion of maple syrup basketball. Oh, Canada. Let's get into the pod. We're back. We got four more fantastic playoff games in the bag. Lots of basketball to talk about. Got Sheed here with me this morning. Good morning, Sheed. Yeah, what a crazy, crazy two days of basketball. Capped off with a crazy, crazy game seven. Jazz Nuggets. You want to give a quick recap, Book? Yeah, I mean, this game, it certainly started out ugly, but... What a wild finish. So contrary to the 130, 125 type games that we've been seeing out of the Jazz Nuggets, this one was a real rock fight. I mean, I looked up at one point in the fourth quarter and the score was still in the 60s. Um, and so coming down the stretch, it was a real back and forth battle. The, the Nuggets raced out ahead in the first quarter. The Jazz battled back. It looked for a while there in the fourth quarter, especially as Murray you know, continued to struggle to make shots that the Jazz were going to take control and win the game. And then down the stretch, the Nuggets hit some big buckets. But I want to talk about the last, you know, 30 seconds of this game. So I think with around 30 seconds left, the Nuggets come down. Jokic hits that basically 720 little jump shot in the lane where he spins around twice, hits a fader over an outstretch Gobert. Then the Jazz come down into the front court, take a timeout, or they take a timeout, advance the ball, yep. try to get the inbound, can't get it inbounded to Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt because Gary Harris is playing such aggressive defense. So they take their final timeout and then come back try to get an inbound even after calling the timeout the only play that they've drawn up is donovan mitchell driving on three different guys so going to the basket he coughs up the ball with about eight seconds left so you'd think eight seconds left in the game you're up one dribble out the clock get fouled something well jamal murray takes off racing down the court passes it to tory craig with probably five seconds left cutting into the lane craig not only takes the layup but misses the layup the Jazz quickly grab the rebound, Gobert outlets to Conley. Conley dribbles up court, gets a fantastic look at a three-pointer to win the game seven, goes halfway down, comes out. Wild ending, wild series. If you would have told me this game would end at 80-78, I would tell you you're crazy. Um, but, you know, what What did you think of that game, Sheed? Yeah, I was t- we were texting during the game, and I was saying that Oh, you uh, you cut out a little bit there. Um, I think the, I got you back. You, you cut out a little bit, so if you could just restart with what yeah. you said after we were texting. Yeah, sorry. So we were texting, and we were saying, you know, such an ugly game, and and it was an ugly finish too. I think. Look, it's game seven. You know, it's the first ever game seven on a neutral court. So I was interested to see with no fans there you know, the same environment we've played the first six games in, if the quality of play would stay very high or there would be this tension in the game. And it was it was very tense and it was ugly. Um, look, I think I think I'd give both teams a lot of credit. They played defense really hard, but like all that crazy shot making we saw throughout the first few games just like first six games just like completely disappeared. Um Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask 
our fans if they wanted to play a drinking game about our recap of this pod where every time you said shot making, they would have to drink. But uh, it turns out after an 80 to 78 finish, probably not a lot of discussion of shot making. The other thing that I saw in terms of game is all these guys were gassed down the stretch. I mean, I think if you look at the last three or four minutes, Donovan Mitchell actually didn't have that many touches because he just looked so exhausted. Like Gary Harris, the one guy who might've been fresh because he's coming off injury is face guarding him. And Mitchell's just standing in the corner while Conley runs pick and rolls with Gobert. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of Conley down the stretch. He, he played pretty well down the stretch for someone who shot so poorly in this game. You know, he was, uh, he was two of 13 in the floor, but I felt like, did a good job down the stretch getting a pick and roll layup to O'Neal and a lob to Gobert. And, you know, sort of contrasting from the rest of the series, and we talked about, one, the shot making, but two, you know, the centers were the best players on the floor today. I mean, Gobert was unbelievable. Rebounds, putbacks, you know, affecting shots at the rim. He had 19 and 18. He's a plus six. Um, and then Jokic for, for, the, for the Nuggets uh, had 30 and 14 and four. So clearly the best, clearly the best player on the floor for the yeah, I, Nuggets. Yeah, I was impressed with Gobert's game. I think in games five and six, he did not look very good. But in this game, he was getting a lot of offensive rebounds. He had some good dunks. Uh, the one thing I laughed at is he got fouled And granted, it was still in play, but basically did – the double punch the air at the same time, which we saw Porzingis and Tatum, who did the single punch of the air, get a technical. But Gobert's double punch of the air uh, did not receive a technical, even though he was pretty animated with the whole thing, which I'm not complaining. Like, game seven, don't start throwing out texts for stuff like that. But it did make me laugh to see him do the double air punch but not receive a technical. Yeah, it, it was just all in all a weird game. I mean, I guess to dive into one side here, let's talk about the Nuggets. I thought the defensive defensive energy was really incredible early on. Uh, you, you know, you could see what side of the ball Malone wants to em- emphasize down the stretch. It right. was Craig and it was Craig and Gary Harris. You know, and Craig and Gary Harris had awful offensive games. They were three of nine and one of nine shooting, both one of five from three. But uh, they really just were solid and they really just, you know, they, they took it to the jazz guards and the jazz got no quality looks. Mitchell was tired. And I think, you know, one small criticism of Mitchell is that when he's tired, when he's tired and he really wants, like, he's such a competitor that he wants to win so bad. He's, he wants to go and go and go, but he, he becomes a straight line driver with, with tunnel vision. You know, there's, he, he wants to go up with it. He doesn't want to pass it. I mean, he had, he ended up having 22 points on 22 shots, but but one assist and nine turnovers. So yeah, that's pretty bad. You know, but I I really think Gary Harris turned this series. Uh, clearly the best player. Uh, clearly the best defensive um, option on the Nuggets to to guard Mitchell, and they were lucky to have him back. And they'll need more from. Yeah, him. I. Go ahead. I was going to say, I agree, especially down the stretch. You could see his energy making a difference. Um, And not to look forward too much, but I think uh, I I will be interested to see what the combination of Harris, Craig, and Grant can do on – and maybe maybe Millsap um, on Paul George and Kawhi. Like right there they have three pretty good defenders that they can throw at those two – uh, wings that that make so much of the Clippers offense go um, and, and then you know if you add in Monte Morris and and Michael Porter Jr. I think that the the Nuggets now have a good amount of lineup flexibility they can go Jokic Murray and then three of those five guys which obviously you, you know if you have Morris or MPJ in there you're optimizing a little bit more for offense um, but I in in that sense I think I was happy that the Nuggets won this game because I think they'll be able to give the Clippers a better fight. Yeah, and really what it comes down to is with, I think with Harris back, there's just there's just more solid basketball players on the Nugget side of the ball. I mean, I wouldn't say Plumlee's good, but if you take out Plumlee, the other eight guys who played, you know, I think Millsap's a little washed, but yeah, Millsap can like make solid plays. And 
on the other side of the ball, the Jazz have their five starters. You know, Clarkson is was much better to start this series <laughs> than he's been lately. You know, and I guess Niang is okay as a spacer, but like that's really all. You know, I mean, they had 25 minutes at the bench for Clarkson, and then seven each for Niang and Morgan. So that's 39 minutes off the bench. Well, Nuggets had you know over 60. They know Plumlee at eight, 17 for Porter Jr., 34 for Craig, 26 for Harris. There's just more options. Um, and I think when yeah. you have more options, there's more margin for error. And they needed every bit of that margin for error. Um, the Nuggets did today. Yeah, I think uh, the last thing I would say about the Nuggets is I think they got to give Michael Porter Jr. more minutes. I mean, I know he makes mistakes defensively. He had three turnovers. He's not a perfect player. It's like Mike Malone. If you don't play Michael Porter Jr. at all, like your team's ceiling is losing to the Clippers in like four or losing to the Clippers in six. Like they're going to need some Michael Porter Jr. games off the bench where he scores 15 or 20 points. And I think especially when he's rebounding the ball like he is, he had nine rebounds last night in 17 minutes. Like give the guy more minutes. That's my one of my qualms with this Nuggets team is their coach's personality does not fit their team like imagine if they had mike d'antoni coaching them it would be so much fun yeah i totally agree i totally agree i mean i think they could play a little faster a little more free um but like we talked about like murray is not a great defender and Jokic is a pretty bad defender so adding mpj to those lineups is makes it makes it tough i you know i I would try to optimize his minutes around times when one of murray or Jokic isn't in um so we'll see what he does uh do you have any sort of prediction going forward here against the Clips? Um, I think the Clippers wing talent is just ridiculous. And especially if Montrez Harrell is getting back into a groove and if Patrick Beverly is back, there's just such a deep team that have so many different guys that can get you buckets and, um, and the Nuggets are great offensively. And I think now that Gary Harris is back, they're a little bit better defensively. But I see a lot of, you know, 125, 112 wins for the Clippers in this series. And so I would probably say, honestly, Clippers in five with maybe three close games, uh, one of them being a, a Nuggets win and then two close wins for the Clippers and two comfortable wins. Yeah. I was deciding between four and five. I just don't think they have much of a chance. I mean, wow. I mean, four. You don't think uh, Jamal Day Long Murray can put the team on his back for at least one of those games? I mean, maybe, but like the Clippers have like Pat Bev if he's healthy. And if he's not healthy, then it's like, okay, you can guard him with Kawhi or you can guard him with Paul George. You know, there's just so many options to throw at him that the Jazz didn't have. Um, I'll say five because I don't want to look like an idiot if I pick a sweep and then it goes seven or whatever. But I'd be stunned if the Clippers have too much trouble with. Uh, Come on, Sheed, ha- have some conviction. Fine, in your fine. Pick. You know, Clippers in four. I mean, the, I mean, All right. I, I, I mean, the Clippers beat the beat the Mavs in six, and the Mavs are a lot better than Nuggets are. I think. Eh, I don't know. We'll see if Jokic plays like a top five player in the league, uh, especially because I think he could kind of have his way with Zubac and Trez for different reasons. Um, he could give them some issues, but we shall see. Any any last thoughts on the Jazz? I don't think we want to do like a full off season preview, but any parting words? No, I think you know it was solid. They obviously really missed Bogdanovich. Um, they definitely would have won this series with him. You know that kind of confident shot making is what they missed. I mean, Ingles is a good shooter, but he had a really tough series. So I think you know to replace him with Bogdanovich it might hurt a little bit on the defensive end. Really would have helped them in this series. Um, and, you know, I think it'll be more of the same for them going forward for next year. You know, that we talked about this before, but they have a big decision to make eventually with on the, do they want to pair Mitchell and Gobert together? Do they want to keep one or the other? Um, but I think for next year, it's, it's more status quo, and I think they'll be really good. I mean, I expect them to be top five team in the West again. Yeah, that sounds right to me. All right, let's, uh, let's flip over to Celtics-Raptors game two. Do you want to take us through a quick – rundown of what happened there yeah uh really back and forth game no one was ever up too much the the Raptors took a big big third quarter lead and then Marcus Smart took over with five threes in the fourth quarter Celtics hang on 102 99 I guess 
let's start with your thoughts on uh, the Celtics book. Yeah, so I think in the first half, really, their offense didn't look great. I think they were taking – they were, you know, this, the Raptors were giving them, and they were therefore taking too many mid-range jump shots – like Kemba coming off those pick and rolls, Jalen Brown attacking guys. They were pulling up for those, you know, semi-contested 15 to 17 footers, which aren't bad shots, but I think there's a reason that they were wide open. And it's just the Raptors decided this is what we're going to give up. Um, and so I think that was one of the problems, you know, to begin with. And then at certain points in the third quarter, they also had a lot of turnovers. So 10 in the first half, uh, a couple uncharacteristic smart turnovers, um, and then obviously Kemba really struggled for the first, you know, three quarters of the game. Luckily he sort of picked it up down the stretch and hit a couple big shots. Um, so that, that was like what I saw on the offensive side of the ball from, from the starters. Uh, what did you think of uh, more, more time Lord energy? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he didn't really play it off as Alex this year. And then there was a stretch in the first quarter where he went five or five in the field and he was the best player on the court in a you know Eastern Conference semifinal, uh, which is pretty wild. Um, it's a really a game of highs and lows for Time Lord. Uh, there's times where he looks completely lost out there, and you know then there's times where he's dominant. He's such a vertical threat at the rim that he provides a different look. Um, and I think the Raptors struggle with that to some degree because they're so keen on trying to. Con- contain the guards off the dribble Kemba's and smarts and Tatum's that they, they sort of lose him. And he's a huge lob threat, which, which is a, which made him a big factor in the first half of this game. It was interesting though. I think the other thing to note here was that like, he was a huge factor. And then down the stretch, it was a lot of Grant Williams and um, Grant Williams had a really good game, just really solid. You know, he had two points, four rebounds, two assists plus four, but he played a lot of minutes in the fourth quarter did a really solid job guarding Siakam. And I think that's really been the key for the Celtics is that they have so many bodies to throw at Siakam to bother Siakam. So they have Grant Williams. They have, you know, Jalen Brown guards him, Marcus Smart guards him, Semi Ojale guards him. Um, and it's just, he's struggling, you know? He's really, yeah. he's really struggling. He played 43 minutes tonight, which is a ton. He was 6 of 16 from the floor, 17 points. Um he ends up taking a lot of like six to eight foot kind of floaters, which, right. you know, it's just hard to be that if, if efficient from that range. Um, and so I think really it was the Celtics defense that did the work here. They, they outscored the Raptors 32, 21 in the fourth quarter, um, you know, to win by three. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that, yeah. And speaking of the Celtics defense, they had a lot of blocks. So they had nine blocks, which is, I think, Pretty good amount. Tice had three blocks. Smart had two blocks. He had one great one where he came across the lane. Uh, I think it was on Ananobi. After Tice had kind of gotten a piece of one, Ananobi went up really quick, and I was shocked by how quick Smart got across the lane, popped up and blocked that shot, which on the topic of Marcus Smart, he's one of those guys, you know, hand up. I love a good hustle guy. Um, and so I've always had a bit of an affection for Marcus Smart, much like, you know, the Bam Adebayos of the world who just do all the little things. Uh, sometimes he's a little frustrating to watch on defense because he will charge into someone and then throw himself on the ground as he did on that fast break with Siakam. But you love to see Marcus Smart with the irrational confidence threes in the fourth quarter made five in a row, including one of those being a four point play and really kept them in the game. I mean, the Celtics scored Celtics scored 32 points in the fourth quarter and 16 of those were off Marcus smart three pointers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was an incredible shooting performance um, from smart and just, you know, just really impressive win from the Celtics. I think we're in a game where they didn't particularly um, play that well. Um, moving on to the Raptors, I think, it's just a lot of the same, you know, it's just struggles from the guards struggles from Siakam, you know, their best players in this game in terms of, you know, shot quality, shot making where, where Ananobi and Ibaka just like, okay. Mm-hmm. But you know, at some point Van Vliet and Lowry and Siakam need to like make shots, you know, Siakam had 17 points on 16 shots. Lowry had 16 points on 16 shots. Van Vliet had 19 points on 22 shots. So just like, 
Yeah, and those those guys combined again to go four for twenty three from three point land. Yeah, and I look, there there there's some tough looks, but they should make more. They should still make more of them. And then you know there's struggles at the rim too. You know, like we talked about, Suns have good bodies to guard um, Siakam, but you know part of the issue with having these two little guards isn't just on the defensive end, where I actually think Lowry and Van Vliet hold up pretty well. It's that when they get to the rim. They're just so, you know, they're so small and size bothers them. So a lot of those tice blocks are just on Lowry or Van Vliet getting to the rim and, you know, trying to put it up. But, you know, they don't have as long of reach as Tice does, and he can reach over and, and block them. Yeah, and they're both quick guys, but I think especially now that Lowry's older and just Van Vliet has always sort of been this way, neither of them are very explosive vertically. Like, it's not like they're John Morant or Steph Curry or De'Aaron Fox who – can get up in the air and, you know, make decisions while they're in the air. They really do a lot of that, like get a half a step on their guy and then turn around and look to someone to kick it out to, which does generate some good three point attempts. But like you said, not a lot of shots right at the rim for the Raptors, unless it was stuff like Ananobi cutting or, uh, you know, the occasional like Ibaka touch down low. What did you think of Marcus all? Look, I, they have, you know, Nurse has some decisions to make here because Gasol is such a non-factor offensively right now. Um, and you can just look at how the Celtics are defending pick and rolls and pick and pops with Gasol versus Ibaka. They're very concerned about Ibaka. And Gasol, they're pretty happy to, like, show hard on the, on the ball handler and then recover to Gasol. He banked in like a 20-footer, um, made a layup, but, you know, he had six points in 21 minutes. He was a plus seven, I think, which speaks to how valuable he is on the defensive end of the floor. But, like, Ibaka is such a better offensive option that it wouldn't shock me to see Ibaka start eventually. Although, you know, Ibaka's defense is not great. He was a minus 10 in, in 27 minutes. Um, it's, it's, this is also weird to me, like, hearing about a Gasol who doesn't look good offensively. If you just think back to Pau Gasol and then even Mark Gasol in his heyday, like, such fantastic passing big men, offensive hubs. They can shoot the ball. And then, you know, Serge Ibaka was once a tour de force at the rim. And now you're right. He's a little bit more of, like, a ground-bound pick-and-pop yeah. uh, three-point shooter. So a, a bit of a role reversal there. Um, but yeah, I would agree. I mean, there's aside from a Baca drilling threes, hasn't been fantastic play out of the Raptors big men. And I think the thing that you see, especially when Robert Williams is out there is, you know, a and Gasol are good positional defenders, but they're just not very explosive. And so Robert Williams being on a pogo stick can give them problems because he just gets up in the air so quickly. And so yeah. in that sense, I wonder if we might see some more, uh, you know, Chris Boucher minutes or, or, you know, nurse might have to try something different. Yeah, I agree. And the other, only other point I needed to make here was on the other end of the floor on offense. I mean, like I know nurse is coach of the year, but like, it doesn't really feel like they have a plan, you know, like their plan has gotten transition and they're really good in transition and they did a better job in this game getting out and they got some easy buckets, but like in the half court, like it just feels like it ends up in like, you know, Siakam mid post isos or like you know like Van Vliet Gasol kind of pick and pops that don't really get anyone open or you know it just feels like we talked about we talked about all the time on the pod is that like teams like the Jazz RIP Jazz um, you know it feels like there's so much motion going on for most of the game and the Raptors on offense it's just like it doesn't seem that hard to guard and I'd like to see Nurse get into some more sets or or run some more plays that you know that are designed to get a specific look because it feels like it results in iso ball so much and that's okay when you have great iso scores but very clearly siakam lowry and van vliet are not really those guys right now yeah i mean we said it before the series the the raptors struggle in the half court and so if they're not generating a ton of offense off their steals and you know long rebounds which in this game it felt like they did do some of that uh, but when they're not, their offense, I just don't think is that good, especially when Siakam is not having a great game. So, yeah, I agree. I think for being coach of the year and the guy that many tout as the best coach in the NBA, uh, going to need to see something out of Nick Nurse in game three. I wonder if he'll go really small at all and play like 
Siakam at the five with Norman Powell. Only 13 minutes for Norman Powell in this game. Um, but that might be something they could try to just get a little more spacing. Although I guess if Ibaka's your five, you, you get the spacing. But um, yeah. what do you think of that yeah, potential move? Yeah, I don't think it's an awful idea. I mean, I think it would be – I think the Celtics would probably just like, put Tice on like OG or something. There was a, There was a play in the first half where they came, the Raptors came out of a timeout and they had um, OG in with Ibaka and they had Robert Williams guarding OG and they had Tice guarding uh, – they had um, – sorry. They had Ojale guarding Ibaka because they just run to switch stuff and they were struggling with the pick mm-hmm. and pop. So it wouldn't – I mean, I think it would be effective, but I think OG had a really good game in this game, attacking closeouts and stuff, also making shots. But I think at that point, Stevens would – I mean, I think it's not a bad idea for Nurse, but I think Stevens would probably be like, okay, we're going to put Tice on OG and dare OG to beat us. Right. Makes sense. All right, well, game three should be interesting. Uh, one last thing that I'll call out before we move on uh, that I felt like we skipped over a little bit was another, and it speaks to the player that he's become, but another good game for Jason Tatum. I mean, 34 points on 17 shots. He was 14 for 14 from the line, four for seven from three. In the first half, he really kept them afloat. He also added on six assists, four turnovers, which isn't great. Uh, but another quality game from Jason Tatum, who slowly feels like he's becoming a top 15 or top 10 player in this league. I mean, he's definitely, if you were to ask me, you know, eight seconds left on the shot clock, put the ball in one guy's hands, who do you want it to be? I think Tatum is in the top seven of who I would, would pick for that. Uh, and then he's obviously made uh, strides on the defensive end to become, I think, one of the better wing defenders in the league. So uh, shout out to Jason Tatum, 42 minutes as well. So uh, kind of kept the Celtics afloat in the first half. For sure. All right, we're back. What a day of hoops. So we're recording on Tuesday, and we're here to talk about Heat Bucks and then Game 6 of Thunder rockets let's kick it off with heat bucks you want to take us through a quick rundown of the game yeah uh big game one win for the heat over the bucks 115 104 a game was closer than that down the stretch but the heat made free throws and a few shots down the stretch to pull away um the bucks were up big in the first quarter and then basically i would say the heat were the better team the rest of the way um you want to start by discussing the heat? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with some high level takeaways and then maybe dig into some strategic pieces. The first thing I want to talk about is Jimmy Butler. I mean, he took over down the stretch. He had 15 points in the fourth quarter, giving him 40 points overall, 12 of 13 from the line. He was two for two from three, which is not something you typically see from Jimmy Butler. And he was just taking it right at guys. I mean, I think he was quoted saying, after the game, you know, I told my teammates I wasn't going to pass the ball in the fourth quarter, which I guess, you know, kind of live by Jimmy Butler and die by Jimmy Butler when he's on your team. But he was aggressive in the fourth quarter and effective. I mean, going right at Middleton, hunting George Hill on those switches. Um, so I, I was very impressed with the way that that Butler played offensively. And the last thing I'll say on that is probably has to hurt a little bit for Sixers fans sitting at home watching, especially with Joel and Joel Bede uh, tweeting praise for Jimmy Butler. Um, what do you, what'd you think of, of Butler's game? Yeah, I think he's always a very confident player, um, and he was playing really well. Um, when he gets to the line like he did early on here in this game, it really brings more spark to his game. I think he's done a better job of deferring at times when he feels like his teammates are playing well and he can play a more facilitator role. But um, down the stretch here, like you said, he really took over and made some threes, which obviously is something he did not do well this year. Made some pull-up jumpers, got to the rim. Basically did everything they needed to, to, to win the game um, at the end. I guess the next guy I'd like to talk about on the Heat is uh, Bam. And Bam was going right at Giannis. Um, he bodied him a few times, missed a dunk, but he sort of like dislodged Giannis to the ground, which you don't see very often. Um, and he sort of is the hub of the offense a lot of times. Down the stretch, it's a lot of Jimmy Butler, you know, pick and roll, pull-ups, all that stuff. But throughout the game, it's all these little two-man games with Bam, whether it's Bam and Butler, uh, Bam and Hero, Bam, Duncan Robinson, uh, you know, Bam and Drogic, 
Um, it's a lot of two-man game where they, they set a lot of screens and Bam's a passer and Bam's a roll man. and They trust Bam to either attack when he gets the ball on a pick and roll or, you know, face up and hit a little jumper or find the right pass. Sort of, you know, Spolstra has a lot of trust in Bam. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, has deserved that trust because I think he's played really well. And he, especially in offense, is sort of more of a factor than he was at the beginning of the year. Yeah, talking a little bit about the Heat's pick and roll, I, I think they gave the Bucks and are going to give the Bucks a lot of trouble with the with the drop coverage that the Bucks run because the Heat, the guys who are are coming off those pick and rolls, you know, mainly Butler and Dragic are are good, crafty, effective mid range players. So you saw a lot of times, you know, Dragic come off that screen, kind of seal his guy on his butt. And then either shoot that 15 footer or kind of get to the rim and pop a floater right over Brooke Lopez. Um, and then Butler was just going straight at guys or, you know, at times they were dropping it off to Bam who was hitting that little 18 footer. Um, and the heat really just didn't have much trouble getting in the paint. The announcers kept talking about it, but I think they outscored the bucks in the paint. Um, which, you know, one thing we should mention here is I think the Bucks really missed Bledsoe defending those pick and rolls, you know, George Hill and Connaughton are just not good at a getting over the screen and then B bothering whoever it is um, that they're covering from behind once they come off that screen. So I think they will definitely need to watch, um, you know, when they can get Bledsoe back. The other thing I'll say offensively about the heat is I am weirdly comfortable with Tyler hero taking big threes at the end of the game. I think he made at least one or two down the stretch. Uh, and, you know, like he said on, on draft night, Tyler Hero, he's, he's got the best drip here. So that confidence, you really see it come through in his game. Yeah, definitely a bit of an irrational confidence guy. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think the Heat and Spolster have done a good job sort of reining in what he does on the floor down the stretch. Um, you know, I think on a worse team, um, you would see a lot more of Tyler Hero taking bad shots and trying to ISO guys. And I think the Heat have. You think kind they of, would? Do you think they would call that Hero Ball? I think I think you would see more Hero Ball on a bad team. Um, and I think he holds up okay defensively. You know, I think look, he's always the guy. Or if it's going to be Duncan Robinson instead of him on the floor down the stretch, he's the guy they hunt. Um, right. You know, Dragic too, but you know he's okay. Um, he's not super long, but he's a decent athlete and he can move his feet. Okay. Um, but he's not mm-hmm. like getting destroyed out there. Um, right. speaking of defense, I thought the heat did a great job covering Giannis. I mean, first off, you got to give credit going back to bam. I think he did a great job covering Giannis. It's that physicality that you really need, I think, to be effective against Giannis. But beyond that, it, I just love how bam does all the little things. I mean, he jumps so high for the rebounds he sprints back on defense, knowing that he's got to get there and get in front of Giannis. So that's the first place I would go to give credit for the Heat's defense is just talking about Bam. I think the other thing is, you know, with the midseason trades that the Heat made, they just have a lot of guys that can cover Giannis. I mean, they have Bam, obviously, but then they have Butler, they have Iggy, they have Crowder. There's a lot of big, thick bodies that they can put between Giannis and the rim, and I think that really gave him trouble. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think like the Heat are a good defensive team, and they match up well defensively with the Bucks. We'll talk about the Bucks in a second here, but they just need to do a better job of taking advantage of the matchups they have. Um, and I think they did a good job in the first quarter, then they struggled um, after that. Um, I guess moving on to the Bucks, like we talked about a little, no blood cell really hurts, especially in guarding Dragic. Um, that's not to say Hill's an awful defender or Content's an awful de- defender. You know, I think they're both actually pretty good defenders, but they're better defenders off the ball. You'd like to have them guard, you know, Hero or guard, you know, Chase Duncan Robinson as opposed to having to guard Dragic down the stretch or, you know, in, in key moments. So I think no blood so really hurts them on the end of the floor. And mm-hmm. um, that was a big issue in this game. Yeah. Zooming out a little bit, what did you think of Giannis's game? I think, you know, objection, a bit of a leading question, Your Honor, but um, would love to get, get your take on Giannis's performance. Yeah, you know, it wasn't a great Giannis game. Not that he was bad. You know, he almost had a triple-double and 
Still. Yeah, although I mean, eighteen points on six for twelve shooting is not great. Four four for twelve from the line, uh, and then six turnovers, and his plus minus was minus fourteen. No, I, I agree. I would say that he needs to play better if they want to win. One, but two, they need to figure out what they're doing offensively because the floor spacing down the stretch is horrendous, and like the the Heat are packing the paint, and and, and there's just too much congestion in the middle and he has nowhere to go. And I think that's part of the issue you run to is to see what coach Bud needs to do down the stretch is he needs to find lineups that, that optimize space around Giannis. So I don't know if it's playing Corver. I don't know if he can trust Corver defensively. I don't know if it's playing DiVincenzo. He was playing Conton in this game. Who's no okay K shooter, but um, you know, isn't the best option, I guess, down the stretch uh, in terms of like floor spacing. Um, but I think Giannis, you know, they're, the Bucks play basketball one way, and they play that way no matter what. And I think they need to make more adjustments because down the stretch, Giannis was trying to attack. Like, he was all game and sort of had no space to go anywhere and was committing offensive fouls, and he was in foul trouble early. And, you know, overall, I think he got frustrated. Um, I think they were a little lucky, actually, early on because – he made a bunch of jumpers to start, and I mean you know, Middleton also really started off what like three for three from three. I think Brooke Lopez had nineteen in the first half. So yeah, I mean in the first half it looked like the Bucks were firing on all cylinders. But my opinion on Giannis, and I feel bad because I think I'm starting a trend of talking poorly about some of the best teams in the NBA is quite frankly I think especially in the playoffs he's pretty overrated. Uh, a bit of a one trick pony, like, let me drive as hard as I can. Um, and then, you know, if you double, I kick it to a wide open guy. If not, I dunk, which, you know, it's not to underscore Giannis's talent, but going from watching a guy like Kawhi or James Harden, just absolutely dissect defenses to Giannis. And it's just, I think he has another step or two to go offensively. And I think his teams are going to be limited until, he takes that step. Yeah. You know, I agree. And then I guess the last thing to note here I want to talk about on uh, the Bucks was uh, just turnovers and free throws. Uh, like you said, John struggled at the line, but sort of the whole team did 14 to 26 um, versus the Heat's 25 to 27. There's your 11 points right there, right? An 11 point loss and uh, yeah. 19 turnovers. So they need to take care of the ball better. Um, you know, I thought the defense was fine actually for most of the game you know butler made some tough shots that i would say were probably above what you'd expect on average from him right um but they just need to bounce back they just need to play better i think it's you know i i like to see coach bud you know try to adjust more in a game and do more stuff to free up Giannis and do more stuff to free up middleton because it feels like it gets so heavy into sort of isos and it's a lot of tough mid-range for middleton he can make those but you know tough shots and then Giannis just trying to barrel into the rim, which, you know, isn't a great option really right now against the Heat. I mean, it's good in transition, but in the half court, they just have so many bodies to throw at him. Right, yeah. I, I would agree with you. I think from my watching of the game, they don't run a ton of offense outside of, like, maybe running Corver off some screens and then Giannis picking rolls, whether Giannis is the ball handler or the guy setting the screen. They don't They don't run a ton of action and that you contrast that with what the Heat do on the other side of the ball, where it's, you know, a whirling dervish of screens and cuts and handoffs. Uh, I think this is a bit of a theme from a lot of the conversations we've had over the course of this podcast, but I'm just way more impressed with these teams that actually run offense. Um, and so I think I wouldn't be surprised if as we continue to go through these playoffs, the teams that run action do better, uh, but we'll see. Any um any key things to watch game two? I mean, I think your your summarization that the Bucks just need to play better and the Heat maybe made some shots that they won't normally make is is a good one. But any kind of strategic tidbits that you'd look for in game two? Uh, for yeah, I'd like to see Bud go heavier minutes on his best players. I mean, thirty six for Giannis, thirty seven minutes for Middleton. Like they should just both be playing forty minutes minimum. Because, like, they're your two best players by far. And, like, I understand Giannis plays 30 minutes a game during the regular season. Like, that's fine. But, like, this is the playoffs. Like, this is a series that's going to be long and tight. Like, Giannis should play 40 minutes a game. Yeah, 
I would agree with that. Uh, the other just funny thing that I will note from this game uh, is I really want to see Duncan Robinson and Kyle Korver guard each other a bunch. It's just Spider-Man meme right there. Yeah. Uh, and Duncan and uh, Pat Connaughton were guarding each other and that, that brought a tear to my eye because Duncan, <laughs> Duncan was my AAU basketball teammate and Pat played for the same program a few years older than me. So it was great to see the guys out there playing minutes, big minutes in a big playoff game. Yeah. Representing uh suburban mass. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. All right. Should we switch gears and, and go over to thunder rockets? Yeah, let's do it. All right. You want to take it away with a, a recap before we dive into each team? Yeah, it was 104, a hundred win for the thunder. Um, there was tie game late. Uh, Chris Paul got fouled. They made some free throws. They won. Um, really a game the Rockets should have won. Uh, and just really poor play down the stretch um, for the Rockets here, I think, is what I, what I would say was really apparent um, in this game. Um, but let's get started on the Thunder since, uh, since the other team actually won the game. Uh, you know, also, on, can, before we dive into that, can I just say that kudos to you for not immediately throwing Russell Westbrook under the bus. Yeah, I was we'll, going we'll, to start with the Thunder, and then I was going <laughs> to throw Russell Westbrook under the bus. Oh, I meant just in the game recap, I'm impressed that you didn't throw him under the bus. I, I, I am, I, I'm a self-described Westbrook fan, but not Westbrook apologist. Um, so I was, I was happy that you didn't throw him under the bus. But we'll get to that. So, yeah, let's, let's start with the Thunder. Yeah, I mean, early on, more of the same struggles for the Thunder. Um Gallo had a tough start. Dort continues to just miss so many shots and play bad offense. You know, Adams looks so slow out there. He might be hurt. He's kind of just a big center who might just look slow because he's playing against a bunch of little guys in the Rockets. But that was sort of the dominant thing early on, and they were struggling to stay attached in the first quarter. Um, they immediately look so much better when when Schroeder comes on the floor. Um he just brings more juice to the offense. He's a better isolation scorer than they have out there to start the game, you know, besides Chris Paul. And he's tough on defense, and he sort of causes more – I would say he, like, brings more energy to the team than than, yeah. um, than they normally have out there to start games. So that was key. Um, and then, you know, down the stretch, it was the Chris Paul show. Um, he hit tough back-to-back threes to tie it up late. Um he was hunting Covington in mismatches, um, and he went to work, you know, plus 20, uh, 28 points, uh, zero turnovers, just wow. classic Chris Paul. So um, what a, you know, what a game from him, and he really carried them to the finish line down the stretch. Yeah, not – I feel like, you know, at some point the point god was going to take over and – I didn't feel very optimistic about the Thunder's chances after game five because just how putrid they looked offensively. And especially starting game six, I didn't see any adjustments from Billy Donovan other than Lou Dort driving into bodies. Um, But if you had asked me to really take a step back and think, I would have felt good about Chris Paul's chances to to make a big impact on this game. So uh, it it was great to see him get in there and kind of turn back the clock and have one of those great games. He's so great in the mid range. It always impresses me. I know everyone says the mid range is dead, but you watch postseason basketball and you need guys who can hit those 18 to 20 footers off the dribble. And he's just so good at that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a great player to have on your team down the stretch. There's a reason why the thunder were the best um, clutch time team in the NBA. And it's because they have Chris Paul run the show. Yeah, exactly. Um, do we want to talk about Thunder now? Or sorry, the Rockets? Yeah, I guess one more thing on the Thunder before we move on is uh, yep. Billy Dahman's rotations are like very frustrating to me. Like, I don't know. You know, Schroeder just sits the first six minutes of each half no matter what, and it just feels like every third quarter the Rockets come out and go on an 8-0 run or 10-0 run and make the lead 10 or 12 or whatever, and then Schroeder's to come back in and try to fix things so you know he didn't have a great game in this game in terms of shooting five of 16 but he was still a plus six so you know feels like he needs to be on the floor more 
He's got to tighten his rotation, but Donovan, there's five Terrence Ferguson minutes in here. I don't know oh, why. Oh, he was so bad. They just leave him wide open. He misses threes. It's just sad to watch. Um, you know, Gallo only played 28 minutes. So, you know, I think he has to match up better. Like, Dort should just play – you know, Dort played 20 minutes, whatever, that's fine. He should just guard Harden. If Harden's not in the game, Dort should be in the game. I think he should – Gallo should play every single minute that Harden is not in the game, and then you should adjust from there. Because I think one thing that stuck out to me is Gallo got really hot at the end of the third quarter. He got 25 points in this game. And Harden was out, was, was out, sitting out, resting to start the fourth. Gallo's hot. Like, that's exactly when you want Gallo in the game, right? Like, he doesn't right. worry about it because he switched into Harden. He can go to work, um, and and he didn't leave him in. So, you know, it's frustrating. I think I think he's kind of found his eight guys with Schroeder off the bench with Noel and Baisley, but um, he can do a better job of matching up with the Rockets than he has been in the series. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely right. Going back to even the, the Westbrook and KD days, I've never been particularly impressed with Billy Donovan. And he got a lot of coach of the year chatter this year. I feel like it should have just been redirected to more praise of Chris Paul. Um, but what can you do? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. All right, so let's talk about the Rockets. Um I'll go ahead and, and take the bullet here and talk about Russell Westbrook. I love what he brings to this team in terms of just a variety. I think we've seen too often in the last few years, the Rockets become really predictable, especially over the course of a seven game series when it's just James Harden isolation, James Harden pick and roll. Uh, and so I like the fact that Westbrook can grab those rebounds, sprint down the court, get the easy layup, catch the ball off a kick, drive into the lane, et cetera. But he might've single-handedly cost the Rockets this game towards the end. It's like the clock strikes four minutes left and Russ turns into a a monster. I mean, I I saw a Kirk Goldsberry tweet and said during the regular season, Harden averaged over one touch per possession and six dribbles per touch. During the last four minutes of the game, in eight possessions, Harden only had four touches and 11 dribbles. In the same time frame, Russell Westbrook had 10 touches compared to Harden's four and 60 dribbles compared to Harden's 11. It's like James Harden is the best offensive player or at least the best scorer in the NBA. Why is Russell Westbrook touching the ball twice as much as him and dribbling six times as much as him? It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, he has to operate more down the stretch in terms of, like, more of a dunker role, screener, roller role, where, I mean, if you get Russ the ball at the free throw line with space to attack a big, like, yeah, sure. But he shouldn't be dribble. He shouldn't be the primary initiator of anything down the stretch because his decision-making is questionable at times. And he missed, like, a 20-footer by, like, four feet short with 40 seconds to go and airballed it and then they came back down the thunder came down and chris paul got fouled with 12 seconds to go and made two free throws thunder went up two and you know they gave westbrook the ball again on the inbound he dribbled really hard into the middle he like i was out of control he tried to pass out and he threw it out of bounds like just bad decisions and you know he had seven turnovers in in, uh in 27 minutes like just just not good you know and in you know, like you said, Harden is like the best offensive player in the NBA. So like he should be the one very clearly getting the touches down the stretch. Yeah. I, I, I want to keep liking Russell Westbrook and sticking up for him, but if he doesn't adjust his game, it's going to be hard for me to continue persisting. Uh, the other thing I, I would say about the Rockets is uh, it, it's kind of just, you know, goes back to it's a make or miss league. I think they, they made 33% of their threes, which is okay. Or sorry, 34% of their threes, which is okay. But when you're shooting 45 threes a game and they only got to the free throw line 12 times, uh, which I do think is a testament to Lou Dort's defense. Yeah. They're going to struggle in games where they only win, where they only uh, make 34% of their threes, turn it over 22 times and don't get to the free throw line. So you know, Eric Gordon, one for six, James Harden, three for 11, Jeff Green, one for five, House, two for six. Um, they need better than that if they want to win games against solid defensive teams. 
Yeah. And then I guess it's interesting. I think to me, the other thing to discuss with the Rockets is their third best offensive option seems to be like Eric Gordon straight line driving to the rim. And he's been very mm-hmm. effective doing that in this series, but he's been really struggling to shoot. So I'm interested to see if the Thunder try to adjust um, with how they guard Gordon and more like not let him shoot, but, you know, play off a little more and not let all these hard dribble drives he's been getting to, uh, to the rim. But like you said, they shot it okay, but turnovers, you know, not a lot of free throws. That's not a recipe for success with average three-point shooting from the Rockets. Right. Yeah, the, the one other observation is, is this game is just it's kind of ugly to watch. Um, I think when you have two fast-paced, good offensive teams, which is sometimes the Rockets, and then you know maybe a team like the Mavs, it's really fun to watch. But, man, the Rockets just kind of gum everything up on defense and force the Thunder into a lot of one-on-one basketball or Lou Dort, Terrence Ferguson, three-pointers and drives. And so, you know, I think defensively, if the game looks that ugly, it means the Rockets are being successful on defense, which I would say in this game, they largely were. They just need to be better on the offensive end of the ball. Yeah, and that's exciting down the stretch, right? Like Chris Paul isoing, but like... For sure. When it, when it's like 48 minutes of it, it's a, it's a, it gets a little tiresome to watch. But I mean, that doesn't mean like that's, the, that's what the Rockets are trying to do like they're succeeding if the game's ugly so yeah um i thought they played well early on and they just didn't make enough shots didn't get to the foul line enough turned it over too much and just again it was a tie game with 40 seconds left and it was the rockets ball so yeah maybe harden would have made a shot instead of <laughs> airballing by four feet short or whatever oh boy all right uh big game seven that'll be on wednesday anything you'll be watching out for in that game seven any other strategic adjustments i mean i know we already talked about billy donovan's rotation um anything else you'd look out for yeah like just the tightening of rotations i think mostly um i I think donovan will go straight to his eight guys and i you know for the Rockets, there were a few Ben McLemore minutes in here. Austin Rivers is not playing a lot, so it seems like it's mostly Jeff Green and House off the bench. Just interested to see how heavy they go with Harden minutes and how much he gets the ball and how much he's asked to attack. Um, yeah. Because, you know, he's been playing a lot, but 39 minutes, you know, I, it wouldn't shock me if he's up to 42, 43 um, in this last game. Yep, makes sense. All right. Well, I'm excited for game seven. Look forward to watching it. Uh, We're going to take a quick break before we move over to talking about Celtics Raptors and Jazz Nuggets. Yeah, great. Thanks, Nick. Um, You want to move on to some quick hitters? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, First item is Matt Stats. So me, Uh, most preposterous box score item. I'd say over the last two days, a few things – um, jump out. Giannis was a team worst minus 14 for the Bucks, which is very surprising. Um, ben McLemore, four minutes, no stats. That's a four trillion for Ben McLemore for the Rockets <laughs> in, uh, in game six. And then obviously, I don't know if this is really a box score item, but Smart hit five straight threes in like two minutes. So like that was ridiculous. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess I have a question for you. Um mm. Is Giannis like hard to optimize around? Like I was watching this game and like he's the MVP and like he's obviously a very good basketball player, but just like it feels like there needs to be a very specific roster for him to succeed. Yeah, I mean it's a good question. By very specific roster, I feel like it's just you need a lot of shooting because he's not a great shooter. And obviously the way that he plays generates a ton of open threes, but I don't, I mean, yeah, my initial reaction would be not really like he's such a good player. So versatile, like defensively that he can erase any mistakes that you have on that end of the court. Offensively you need shooting, but beyond that, you know, aside from the normal stuff like, oh, you want to have a secondary ball handler for when he's off the court or just needs someone else to create offense. So I, my initial reaction would be no, but, you know, you pose the question. So what, what do you have anything else that kind of makes you think that? I don't know. It just feels like even with the box, like the spacing's a little messed up. Like not horribly, but like, I don't know. Part of me thinks that like eventually he's going to be a full-time center, which would, and like there's no, 
there's no reason for him not to be a center, really, right? I mean, like, I understand, like, he probably doesn't want to guard a center and bang down low all game. I understand, like, there's specific matchups like Embiid where it's probably not a great option, but, like, it feels like if he was a center and they had, like, you know, their power forward was, like, a stretch four. And not that Lopez isn't a stretch five, but, like, it feels like that would be, like, so hard to guard. You know, it feels like too, yeah. at too many times it's, like, he's the four – and, like, Brooke Lopez stretches the floor, but, like, it does feel like centers, you know, Lopez is, like, a little slow on the release, and, like, centers will still help more and recover, and Lopez has had an okay shooting year, but not great. But, like, it does feel like the roster's already sort of optimized for him, and, like, it's obviously a very good team, but, like, there are moments where it looks pretty ugly on offense. So, I guess, like, imagine him just on, like, a random team, you know what I mean, who had, like, a non-shooter at point guard, like, a non-shooter at set, you know what I mean? non-shooter at center like what if he played with like i don't know uh like mason Plumley at center you know what i mean like it just like it, i feel like yeah, it would be no. it'd be tough so i'm not saying he's not good he's the mvp and i think he deserves to be but i just think eventually it wouldn't shock me if he becomes like a f- pseudo full-time maybe not full full-time center but like plays at least half of his minutes at center yeah i mean if i think about the two guys who are the closest comparison to Giannis not necessarily like in exact skills, but just the way that they play, it's maybe like Ben Simmons and Zion. And if you put them on the Sixers, I don't think that would be a fantastic fit. I mean, obviously they would be incredible defensively, but you would have a lot of the same issues that the Sixers have right now. And then if you put them on the Pelicans, eh, I guess, you know, him and favors isn't a very good fit, but beyond that, like if you, had him at the five, then you would have enough rim protection to have a pretty sweet offense. So, yeah, I don't know. I think some of it is also coaching. I don't think like Budenholzer gets a lot of credit for his like regular season teams performance and he has a system and it's a good system, but his in-game adjustments are like non-existent. So I think that might also be a factor, but uh, I do think it's, it's a question worth considering. So I'm, I'm glad you asked it, but Let's go on to uh, some funny non-sports related thoughts watching the game. So one that I had was what kind of shoes do NBA players who don't have their own shoe line wear? Like, are they just wearing generic like NBA or Nike Air Max, whatever? Or does like Tyler Hero wear like LeBron sevens? How does that work? I feel like, Guys just, like, have a contract with whoever. So, like, if you're signed with Nike, you just basically pick whatever shoes you want from Nike, and they put them in your team's colors, in my guess. So I think it's probably pretty personal. Like, if Tyler Hero loves wearing LeBron, so probably just wear LeBrons. So do you think guys, like, like do you think, like, does Spencer Dinwiddie wear Kyrie's? Great question. I don't know. They are boys. So <laughs> he probably does. He probably does. because Are boys. they boys? They don't hate each other? I think they're boys. I think that's why Kyrie and KD went to – Brooklyn's because I love Dinwiddie. I don't really know why they're boys, but I read that somewhere. But it's a great. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the conversation that happens when Dinwiddie, Kyrie, and Durant are in a room together? Uh, no, it's probably ridiculous. Like Dinwiddie, You'd probably talk about like cryptocurrency. Dinwiddie's like ridiculous, but like I feel like at least he's kind of normal. And then like KD's probably on Twitter, like reading people's mean comments about him, and Kyrie's probably I don't even know what Kyrie's doing. Doing some doing some <laughs> Illuminati stuff. Yeah, carries and that. Um, what do you see on this front? Yeah. Weird, weird non-sports stuff. Yeah, I mean, Iggy hasn't had a haircut in a while, which makes his hairline more pronounced, and it's not a pretty scene for him. So that's not great, I guess. Uh, OKC's uniforms, the gray ones, like they're dark gray with weird, like yellow lining, are horrendous. Like. Maybe the worst uniforms in basketball. Uh, yeah, I hate them. And then one of the refs is named Kane Fitzgerald, which feels like it's kind of a fake name. Maybe he's like in witness protection or something. But <laughs> I saw that and I was like, who is Kane Fitzgerald? Is he another like end of the bench guy that I have no idea about? But a referee. Gotcha. Referee, yeah. All right. Uh, ninth man player of the day. So we, we already talked about time Lord a little bit, uh, but I'll, I'll give you the floor to gush about Darius Baisley and perhaps his future in the NBA. Yeah. Darius Baisley is great. He's just awesome. He like is a long lefty. He like 
gets to the free throw line. He, he like, takes weird step-back threes and, like, makes them in a somewhat decent clip. He, like, protects the rim on defense. He's, like, 6'10 with long arms. He rebounds well. He's just good, and he's 20 years old, and I'm looking forward to the future of Darius Baisley. He doesn't really feel like he's going to be an all-star or anything, but, like, it feels like he's going to be a solid starter in the NBA for a long time. Um, yeah, he had eight points and nine rebounds and three assists and was a plus seven for the Thunder on Monday night. And he took two shots. He got one, two from three, five, six of the line, nine boards. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited for the future of Darius Baisley is what I'm saying, I guess. And it feels like Sam Presti is taking a million guys, you know, out of one year of college or out of high school or whatever who are long, lanky athletes who can't shoot. And it feels like he finally got one who's a long, lanky athlete who can, like, kind of shoot. So congrats to you, Sam Presti. I was going to ask if you think they'll take uh, – what's the guy who went to New Zealand, Hampton? Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, they lost their first-round pick. So I don't know. They might have the Heats pick or something, but they, they lost their first-round pick by one position um, because Muscala uh, – because they, it was top 20 protected and was going to the Sixers. But Oh, that's but right. Muscala, former Sixer, made a three at the buzzer in a game that meant nothing to the Thunder to give them the 21st worst record. So <laughs> Hilarious. Yep. Yep. Uh, annoying announcer of the night. This is really a category for you, Buck. So, what annoys you about the you know from the announcers the past past few nights? Uh, I will go back to Spiro's pronunciation of foreign players. The way he says Giannis and Antetokounmpo is just. It, I don't know why it bothers me so much, but it's it's like, dude, do you really have to say it that way? He, he puts like so much uh, energy behind making sure that the pronunciation sounds as ridiculous as possible. Um, what about you? Anything that annoyed you? Yeah. Uh, Spear also called Jay Crowder, Jameson Crowder. So that wasn't great. Um, but Stan Van Gundy called Marquette the Warriors as their mascot. And I was like, that's wrong. Um, you wouldn't expect that from social justice Stan. Yeah. And then I, I asked you if you knew who the mascot, what the mascot was and you did. So that, so they are the golden Eagles. Um, and, then I looked, and then I looked it up, and they actually were the Marquette Warriors until 1994. Uh, and, you know, I was born in 1994, so I don't really blame myself for not knowing that they were once the Warriors. But, you know, Stan's just living in the past, I guess. Yeah. Come on, Stan. Get with the times. Um, all right. Uh, let's get to our everyone's favorite segment, this week's Olympic team. So watching guys like – Shea Gilgis Alexander, Kelly Olinick, uh, Chris Boucher, and even everyone's favorite offensive weapon, Lou Dort. This week's team, strong enough to have their own team, not needing to be put with any other teams, is Team Canada. So do you wanna you wanna walk us through what you think Team Canada's lineup would be? Yeah, look, Team Canada's good. I think Team Canada's very good. Top four team in the world, I think. Uh, Jamal Murray. Oh, I, I left off Jamal Murray. Yeah, wow. Yeah, Jamal Murray. Uh, Buried the lead. Jamal Murray's playing the one. Shea Gildas-Alexander is playing the two. It's a strong backcourt. Uh, uh-huh. Wiggins playing the three, hopefully with more fire when he's playing for his country than he is when he's playing in the NBA. Uh, D- mm-hmm. Dylan Brooks, I guess, is playing the four. There's a lot of options to sort of move at the four. And, again, all sorts of options at the five. We'll say Dwight Powell starting, but there's also Olenek. Also, Tristan Thompson. Brandon Clark. Yeah. Ken Birch, Boucher. There's a tons of guys. Um, the bench, Brandon Clark, RJ Barrett, Kelly Olinick, Tristan Thompson, Lugans Dort, Ken Birch, Corey Joseph, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I think will be a good player eventually. Trey Lyles. So, I mean, they have, they have plenty of guys. Um, it's a good team. You know, you'd like to see – there's a lot of, like, fringe starter level fours and fives right. and there's like six of them it's so like i don't know who you start like but like i think it's it's okay and then the, the guard depth's not great i mean rj barrett was a horrible nba player this year and he's like your main backup guard like Nikhil alexander walker didn't really play this year Corey joseph's kind of aging um it's a really good starting lineup i mean it's a team that will continue to get better and better you know i think it's the best team we've we've had so far uh, really? Yeah. Better better than the Yugoslav team. Yeah. The, I don't know about that. The Yugoslav team couldn't guard anybody. 
Like, dude, they have Luka and Jokic. They don't need to guard anybody. You can play zone in international play, too. Okay, maybe this is not as good as the Yugoslav team, but the Yugoslav team needs to win games like the 130s, is all I'm saying. And they probably can. They probably can. Dude, this team, this team has like one, maybe one top 20 player in Murray. Like before these playoffs, I wouldn't have even called them top 20. So one, and the Yugoslav team has two top 10 players. Fine. Okay, fair. But like give the Murray SGA backcourt like three or four years and they're, they're dominant. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in five years, this team, especially if the Warriors can resurrect Wiggins, uh, this team is going to be really good. Yep. Um, so, I guess to our listeners, reach out to us. Um, I'm at M. Edgerly on Twitter. Uh, if you want, if there's a specific team you want us to talk about uh, on the next pod, because, you know, we enjoy doing this. And I think hopefully the listeners enjoy listening to us do it. Yeah, do we want to tell the listeners what what we're cooking up on this front for during the off season, or should we should we wait until yeah, maybe next pod? Let's tell them. Let's tell them. So, um, this is the fourth team I believe um, that we've made so far. Our goal is to make sixteen teams from different geographies, et cetera. It could be part of the United States. We haven't decided exactly what we're doing yet. Um, and then in two K, we're going to make those sixteen teams and have a tournament. Um, and that'll be part of our, the off-season podcast schedule. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah, and we'll we'll see. Maybe to to lessen the overhead of all the team building and simulations, we'll just do a verbal simulation for the first few rounds. Where you know, say you have Team Yugoslavia matched up against, I don't know, the German team. Random. You don't. You don't. Yeah, you don't like the, the German. You don't team. like the Tice Kleba backcourt can can handle and the front court can handle Jokic and Nurkic no I don't I don't mm-hmm. uh but yes I'm I'm very much looking forward to this as uh as she'd said feel free to reach out to us Twitter text however and, and let us know uh what teams you would like to see made uh we'll also uh, pretty shortly be putting together a Twitter for um for this podcast uh so watch out for that we're just working on getting some some new branding done we may be renaming the pod uh but it'll it'll be the same two guys talking about the same same basketball so don't worry about that any any parting thoughts for our listeners uh we got more big basketball today we got game two bucks heat and then we have another game seven rockets thunder um anything you want to leave the people with no just you know it's pretty great having basketball back in our lives and two games a day of intense playoff basketball is really, really been fun to watch. And I hope everyone else is enjoying it. Awesome. All right, Sheed, thank you for the time. We'll check back in after we get some more games. Sounds good, Buck. See ya. See ya. Back to